Listener Production. Sovereign citizens are people that believe they are not subject to the powers of the government or the law. You've probably seen footage of them filming on their phones as they get pulled over by police and attempt to bamboozle them with their illogical legal arguments. You receive an infringement notice in the mail for failing to wear a seatbelt, okay? Do your best. Okay, do you... uh, I don't consent to any of this. So there was a spike of those sort of interactions during the pandemic when this old movement got a burst of new momentum as it swirled in with the anti-vax, anti-mandate lockdown movement. To most of us, it's bizarre, fairly harmless, and even at times kind of comical. But in this episode of The Briefing, a really shocking story that reveals the impact extreme sovereign citizens can have on their own children. I picked them up. They smelt that badly. I did the 50-kilometre drive home uh, with all four windows down. They hadn't had a shower in eight to ten days. So that's a heartbroken father who's sharing his story about rescuing his two children from his ex-partner who went down the rabbit hole. That is our briefing. First, today's headlines with Katrina Blowers. It is Monday, the 30th of October. Hey guys, Katrina Blowers here with you. Well, the TV show Friends has rocketed back to the top of the trending list on Netflix overnight after the sudden death of its star, Matthew Perry. Sad news to tell you about tonight. Actor Matthew Perry. Actor Matthew Perry. 54-year-old Matthew Perry. The beloved friend Storm. Has been found dead. Kind of scary-ass clowns came to your birthday. (laughs) I went to that tanning place your wife suggested. Was that place the sun? Yeah, what a sad story. So Matthew Perry, of course, famous for playing the role of Chandler being in Friends. He was found in his jacuzzi in his Los Angeles home. Um, It's being reported that he drowned shortly after playing two hours of pickleball. So I guess given his background with addiction, which is pretty well known, the first thing when most of us heard of that news was, did uh, that play a part? Well, so far, authorities are saying there were no illegal drugs found on the premises, but there were prescription meds to treat depression, anxiety and emphysema. Uh, TMZ is reporting that after he played pickleball, his assistant went to pick up some glasses for him and a new iPhone. And then when his assistant came back, that's when he was found unresponsive in the jacuzzi and the assistant raised the alarm. Tom, I actually listened to the audiobook version of his memoir when it came out. It is an amazing book. It, it also gives you a real insight into who he was, his struggles. I mean, he started drinking when he was a teenager and then after an accident, he, he got addicted to pain meds. He was taking up to 55 of those a day mm. at its peak. I mean, he was on the show for 10 years. Apparently, he was only sober for one of those years on the show. So yeah, a really sad struggle over his lifetime. And to the Middle East, where Israel has stepped up its evacuation warnings for Gaza as it extends its campaign. So soldiers have been sent into Gaza over the last two days. On Saturday, they took out internet and power, almost completely cutting off communications from the outside world. The Israeli Prime Minister, Benjamin Netanyahu, is declaring the second stage of what is likely to be a long and difficult war against Hamas. And the BBC is reporting that negotiations to release hostages are now off. 
which would be so sad if it was true and will bring you the other developments over the weekend now. So 120 countries at the United Nations voted for a ceasefire to allow more humanitarian aid in. Australia abstained. The PM, Anthony Albanese, came under fire from opposition leader Peter Dutton, who said we should be condemning Hamas, while Greens leader Adam Bant said Australia should have voted with most of the world for a ceasefire. Yeah, and the UN reporting from on the ground has warned that there are signs civil order is starting to break down in Gaza after thousands of people broke into warehouses and distribution centres taking basic survival items. Um, So sounds just like absolute panic and chaos there in Gaza, as you could imagine. The Palestinian authorities are saying their death toll has now passed 8,000. We have some big rugby union news for you now. The controversial coach of the Wallabies, Eddie Jones, has resigned just 10 months into a five-year deal. So all this comes after a disastrous World Cup where the Wallabies were knocked out in the group stages for the first time in history. Uh, Eddie Jones was parachuted into the coaching role in January, just eight months out from the World Cup. And clearly that strategy backfired, Tom. When I heard this news, I thought... Can't wait to talk to Tom about this. What have you got to say? Yeah, well, good riddance, Eddie Jones. Um, This is an ugly moment for Rugby Australia. Bit of a sad story, really, as you touched on there. It was a big roll of the dice bringing Eddie Jones back as coach so close to the World Cup. Um, He coached the Wallabies about 20 years ago and had quite a good run, but clearly not this time. Uh, And look, my opinion is that he made a bit of a fool of himself and also the executives that brought him on. He had some poor results early on, so, you know, fair enough. It's a new coach with the same team. But then he started making himself the center of attention. He he would do these really combative press conferences with Australian media, which made him the center of the story. Then he dropped some beloved and, you know, very good veterans. Okay, sure, give some young guns a go. So he sort of rode with him on that. But then after losing so badly at the World Cup, he started throwing some of those veterans under the bus in public statements. Um, which is pretty much unforgivable as a coach. You need to back your players past and present. And then there was the other big controversy where just as we were getting into the World Cup, the story broke that he'd had a meeting with um, rugby in Japan and there were discussions of him sort of looking for a, a way out, another job. Now, he denied it, but he didn't deny anything specific. He just basically said the stories were bullshit, but didn't address any of the specific concerns didn't do a full denial of having any discussions with Japan rugby. And it's just gotten really ugly. So here we are, 10 months into a five-year deal and he's out the door. So the big remaining question is how much of that five-year contract are they going to have to pay out? If they've had to pay out a big sum of money, rugby fans are going to be very angry. And all of this, I guess from an Australian point of view, overshadows the real news that there was a a grueling, tough Rugby World Cup final yesterday where South Africa beat New Zealand 12-11. So there's all that going on, but Australians can only see what's going on with our team. And now to a positive Aussie sports story. The Matildas romping home to a second straight Olympic qualifying win in front of a record crowd with an 8-0 win over the Philippines overnight. Everyone just came out here and gave 100% and um, yeah, we worked our, our butts off today, that's for sure. 
That's Sam Kerr on 10 there. So Sam Kerr and Caitlin Ford netted hat tricks to the delight of 59,000 fans in Perth. It was the largest crowd for a non-World Cup game involving the Matildas in Australia. So where to from here? Well, the Matildas have one more match. That'll be on Wednesday night in Perth for this round of Olympic qualifiers. And uh, they'll be taking on Chinese Taipei, fingers and toes crossed. Mm, yeah, well... That means we'll get to see them in the Olympics next year, hopefully all going well. And I think, as we've discussed on this show, they just bring a lot of good news these days. So um, everyone will be looking forward to that. Yeah, no pressure, girls. <laughs> all right, catch you later, Katrina. We've got this really interesting interview now on Sovereign Citizens. So this interview is with a man who we'll call John. We can't use his real name or the name of his ex-partner for legal reasons. They had two children together when they split up in 2018. And John says it was a relatively amicable breakup, but then during the pandemic, the ex-partner changed. She was drawn into the sovereign citizen movement. That's a movement the Australian Federal Police has identified as an extremist group that could inspire violence. And the AFP says they watched them very closely during last year's election. John says his ex-partner drew the two children into the sovereign citizen movement, taking them out of school to attend protests, one which turned violent. The children also stopped showering and the younger one was standing up in his classroom spouting conspiracy theories. John now has full custody of the children. Police haven't apprehended domestic violence order on his ex-partner, but because she doesn't believe the laws apply to her, they live in constant fear that she or some of her sovereign citizen network will come back and take the children away again. Here's John to tell his story. We've altered his voice to protect the identities of the people involved. John, thank you for joining us on The Briefing. Thank you. So when you split with your ex-partner, was there any sign that she was a sovereign citizen or that was in any way part of her thinking at the time? Uh, no. No, there wasn't. She was she was getting involved in sort of money making schemes on the internet, and that was sort of what was the end of uh, caused the end of our relationship. Right. Okay. But otherwise, you've described it as a fairly amicable breakup to begin with. Yes, it was. Yeah. Given it was amicable, did that mean initially no major problems with sharing your two children? Yeah, no problems at all. Really, we had fifty fifty custody, and um, we we were both moving forward with our, our own lives as far as I understood it. Right. And so it was so amicable that you didn't even need court orders for that custody sharing arrangement initially. It was just something that worked organically between you two? Yeah, that's exactly how it went. Um, as long as I could see the children 50-50 and remain a part of their life, we split all of the property and money down the middle and, and that was it. When did you start to notice that her thinking and her behaviour was being influenced by the sovereign citizen movement? I uh, started to lose contact with the children. Um, and when I spoke to the children on the phone, they were very vague about where they were and what they were up to. And then it sort of snowballed into finding out that the kids weren't attending school. Uh, they were lying to me about where they were and what they were up to. Um, and I started to use the internet to try and um, find out exactly where they were and what they were doing. Um, and found out they were in Canberra at the anti-government, anti-vaccine uh, protests. Did you find out what was going on at those protests and what they were being involved in? Uh, yeah, they. I managed to get hold of some videos that was um, 
I see my children sort of in between some of the protests, but I managed to get hold of some videos and that that my son had recorded. Uh, they were involved in a violent protest against the police. Uh, they saw people pepper sprayed. And were your children starting to use some of the language and the thinking of the sovereign citizen movement? Yeah, so once I got hold of um, the children's school to discuss, you know, why they hadn't been at- attending, um, I found out I'd been left off the enrolment form, so the school hadn't been able to contact me. That's when they said that my youngest is um, sort of standing up in the classroom and, and sprouting um, anti-government ideologies, anti-police, basically anti-anything, the, the whole system. Wow. So how did you feel about that? I was sick in the stomach. I've raised my children to be law-abiding, courteous people, citizens. And do you know how your partner came to join this way of thinking? I believe that she went to quite a few of the the protests and then became involved with sort of a few um, activists and these guys were staying at her house and hanging around with my children basically on a daily basis and the kids were being dragged along to all of the protests. Even at one stage, the children were sleeping in the 10 embassy down in Canberra. So are you saying initially she became part of a anti-vaccine mandate or anti-lockdown movement and then it moved yeah. into the broader sovereign citizen movement? Is, was there a sort of a pathway? Uh, yeah, 100%. That's, that's what happened. You know, I've only seen all of this from afar. Um, we weren't in really regular contact at the time, but that's exactly what, what happened. Okay, so the protest was towards the end of 2021. How long did it take for you to see your children again and take control of the situation? Christmas time, um, and I made clear to their mum that I didn't want them being part of the protest. And when they uh, they arrived, I picked them up. They smelt that badly. I did the 50-kilometre drive home uh, with all four windows down. They hadn't had a shower in eight to ten days. They went back home to their mother at the end of those holidays, and then they came to me in the Easter school holidays, and my oldest refused to return to mum's care. Right. And that's when uh, he started to show me all of the videos and photos and things uh, that they've been participating in. So you've got full custody now. You've got this apprehended domestic violence order. Does that mean you've been able to largely resolve the problems created by the sovereign citizen influence on their mother and then your children? Or is this still an ongoing problem for you to deal with? It's ongoing. We've been through 18 months of hell. Um, we, we've had to disconnect the house phone um, because we were getting constant. Part of their, their tactics is they, they ring up and do welfare checks. Um, people I don't know, they ring up and ask, are my children safe? Um, they send the police to the house saying that I have the children locked in cages and this sort of stuff. Uh, so the police conduct welfare checks. Um, I think in total we had close to 27 of those. Um, before the police deemed it safe not to, you know, that the children were safe in my care. Um, and I'm, I'm talking about banging on the door at 9.30 at night and lighting the house mm. up with spotlights, waking myself and the children up. Um, because every, you know, different police officers come on at different times and uh, until every police officer in the area was aware of the situation, we just had to endure that. And what have you been able to do for your two children, do you feel like you've been able to help them work through the, the trauma of this whole situation in any way? 
have you got much support to do that? How are you nurturing them through this? Uh, so I keep them close. I've got them involved in their sporting clubs again. I've got them safety plans in place with the schools, both of the schools. We've got a safety plan in place here at the house and, and regular counselling for, for both of them. And how damaged by it do you think they are? Uh, well, my, my youngest constantly fears being taken, being approached out the front of the house, uh, within 50 metres of the house. People he doesn't know, you know, stalking him, pulling up and giving passing notes to say that mum's coming to get him. We've had balloons and packages sent to the house with notes that say exactly the same thing. So he's in constant fear. He doesn't want to be taken. He's happy where he is um, and he wants it to stop. For me, the saddest thing of all was was last Christmas. He said to me, he actually said it to Santa in front of me, that he didn't want any presents for Christmas. He just wanted this to stop. Yeah. Um, and that's pretty heartbreaking. And so, John, why did you want to tell us this story? What did you want other people to know about the experience that you've been going through? Uh, I feel like I've exhausted all efforts through the court system. I feel like I've pretty much a, a pain in the backside to, to police because I reach out to them every time we have another incident. And I'm hoping that by talking to the media, um, I can get my story out there and bring this to an end. You know, you see all sorts of terrible stuff happen to women, you know, when families break up and, and the police don't seem to be able, able to stop it. And, you know, I want the community to know that it happens to men too. The domestic violence is real for us and, and for our children. And is it also about the real harm that can come from the sovereign citizen movement? Because I think a lot of people would just write them off as internet lunatics and not necessarily understand how the ideology might translate into real world actions that hurt other people. For me, it's more than a movement that goes right back to people in America. Um, it's been around for a long time. It's surfaced during COVID. Um, but there is people actively online planning to overthrow the government. This isn't just a different way of thinking. Uh, they want to live differently. They want to live lawless and they don't care who gets in their way. Um, and unfortunately, my family has just become one of the people that's gotten in their way. And when you stand up to them, they just increase their activity in disrupting your life. That was John's story. And we've cited key legal documents to verify the important elements of his story. And let's just hope the children can heal from this traumatic chapter of their childhoods. And this story just highlights how these fringe internet ideologies can, they can do real world harm, especially when parents bring their children into it. Mm-hmm.